The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Almost exactly a year ago, the world as we knew it ground to a halt. I'm talking about life in New York, of course, and about specifically trying to do business in New York. Many companies went under. Others changed course, changed customers, changed marketing channels, changed everything. Today's guest is one of them. There are about seven core members of the team that have to be working together. You cannot have a design company and approve leather samples over Zoom or fit a garment over Zoom. It just doesn't work. That's Rebecca Minkoff. You might know her handbags, or you've seen her on a sign in Soho or on the rack in a department store. Her company came to prominence in the early aughts, and it's been on a 15-year rise. And then last year happened. She's learned a lot this year. She's had to reinvent a lot of things. From Rebecca's work running a company with her brother to her own podcast, Super Women. And in the process, she's learned a lot about persistence, communication, and empathy. Here's Rebecca. So Rebecca, when did you realize that the pandemic was going to be here and was going to impact your business in some way? I realized it was here on March 13th when my husband and I had bought and canceled flights to Florida because my parents were like, the world's going to end. Come down, be here with us. And we just felt like we should stick around. Uh, we should see if this was real. So we we drove out east to our house and set up shop and bought extra toilet paper and paper towels, just like everyone else in America, thinking, you know, somehow we would become a 10th a world country overnight. Um And then it really set in when we got emails the following week that every single one of our wholesale manufacturers and partners was going to be canceling their orders for the foreseeable future because they didn't, they couldn't be open and they didn't have need for product that they'd ordered. And we were just about to ship everybody. So that became real when your entire budget goes out the window, you look at your payroll and say, we actually can't afford to have these people work here because we have no income. Our income is now what we do every day on the site. That determines whether we live or have to go bankrupt. And just to stop you there. So it, it's crazy to think about the fact that as this episode airs, that is about exactly a year ago, right? That is that is a year ago. And in that time, so much has changed. And I don't know about you, but I've been through at least six different emotional climates in that period of time. And so I just want to peel us back a second to those first couple of weeks of March. I know that you're a New Yorker. I think that you're in Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn as well. I know that you're a parent, a professional. I also was a parent and professional. And what I remember about that time was how many vectors of choice we had, right? There were the choices around how we navigated work. There were the choices we needed to make suddenly around what to do with our families. And suddenly we didn't have childcare. And all those choices are coming down the line like at once and you couldn't you couldn't tell anything about the future. I'm just wondering what that was like in your household. It was incredibly stressful, um, frenetic, chaotic. And with that uncertainty, I think I also had to figure out, am I going to 
succumb to this and just be in the same misery, but with everyone else? Or is this a chance for me to figure it out and share my learnings with my community and really emerge as like, okay, we're going to figure this out. And as I have learnings, I'm going to share them with you. And you know what? I This is horrific and awful for me and for other people, and especially more so for people that have lost their loved ones. But, and so I had to make this flip after the first two weeks of like, okay, I can't wallow in this. I have to start to see the silver linings. And that's the only way that I'm going to survive that and that we all will. Yeah. So what began to happen for you? What choices did you need to make early on? And where did you go for advice? We had to let go of about half of our staff in order to allocate resources to the people that would run the website. And that was basically it. Um, And I had to say goodbye to team members that had been with me for eight, 10 years. And that was horrible because it wasn't because they did something wrong. It's because they were there to service a piece of the business that had completely been eliminated. And so that was horrible. Um, Probably still remains the darkest day I've had as an entrepreneur, knowing that day that 20 people were going to lose their jobs. Perhaps you could call it the benefit of having been an entrepreneur by that point by for a long time, actually a little bit more than 15 years. Yeah. Had anything during that period of time prepared you for for the layoffs? No, because it's one thing when you do uh, a layoff and you skim across different areas, maybe your business is changing or it's shrunken a little bit, but this was just, oh my gosh, an entire, you know, the largest part of our business just went away completely. And you service that business, so I'm sorry, you know? And then it was telling the existing staff, hey, we're all going to take pay cuts because we have to get, you know, literally every every day that we do, whatever those dollars are, that's that's all that's we're bringing in as a company. So, you know, really modeling that out. So nothing could have prepared me for that emotional roller coaster that I think was enhanced by the uncertainty, the stress, you know, my kids out of school, we all we all feel this, right? Now, yes. I'm a, now I'm a homeschool teacher. Now I'm cooking five meals a day. You know, my husband and I really shared those roles equally, but it still is a lot. Yeah, it, there's, it is, it's a lot. I have read about you, Rebecca, that you have been very committed to sharing those roles with your husband. In my household, at least, and I have a, I have a two mom household, which means that I can guarantee you that while some of this is gender, a lot of this is just negotiated and navigated decision by decision, right? When the proverbial shit hit the fan, like how did you work that out with him? How did how did you guys figure out how to make time for each of your professional lives and your family? So a couple of things. We had a nanny that worked for us for at this point eight years. And I said, listen, I need you to come out and stay with us and I'll give you Fridays off and you live with us four days a week because I wouldn't have been able to work and neither would he. So we we knew that we had someone who I say kept the kids from dying. She couldn't do the homeschooling with them at all because she's not, she's analog nanny. She doesn't do technology or devices, but I knew that she could help me cook, help me clean. She could do the laundry, which was like, we all know that's a big lifesaver. And then we could focus on, okay, I'm going to do two hours of homeschooling and then you'll do the second two hours. And we know that that for that four hour chunk, that's their education time. And then they're on their own for the rest and they can go in the backyard and whatever they got to do. Yeah. So we flip flop that and then we flip flop meals. And so it was intense. It was in a space that was never meant to be a home that we were all supposed to be in all the time. (laughs) So it was just a lot of, you know, I would, I would hide in the bathroom 
and do all my meetings and my podcasts and my Zooms there because it was the only place where you couldn't hear any noise and you couldn't hear children kicking the door trying to get to me, you know? It seemed like time did a weird thing during that period of time. It it expanded and contracted at the same time. Like when I think back about it, there's no definition to it. It just yeah. feels like the blink of an eye. But while you were in the middle of it, there was also no end to it. It yeah. just felt endless. My husband says that time is a flat circle right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true. And still, and here we are. Um, well, so so what happened once you made those immediate decisions with your business? We all had five jobs and we had to determine who, who and what were the best uses of our time. So I was chief content creator, chief copywriter. It's like anything that touched our consumer was essentially me. Our design team really focused on what are the absolute products we need to design and go forward with. And then we obviously have to shoot them. So it was all of us taking on a lot of roles that I hadn't had since, you know, maybe 2010. Yeah. The great thing about being an entrepreneur is you never lose that ability to go back to those gritty roots of like, oh, we just got to pull our sleeves up and do it. Great. Count me in. Here we go. And so how do we get creative with what we have and throw out all the rules of like, you're supposed to have this and you're supposed to do it that way. None of that mattered. It was just keep the communication lines open with my customer. And if it's not pretty, oh, well. Well, specifically too, Rebecca, the way that you talk to your customer has changed a lot as the internet has shifted the way that we buy and sell things over the years. But still, a a large portion of your business was selling through department stores, right? Through physical places that people went to touch things, to look at them. And that channel disappeared. Yeah. I would guess that the, the very way that you sold your product had to change quickly. It definitely did. And it had to also, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were changing the ways in which we are able to signal what tribe we are. Uh, that has nothing to do with product, whether it's my podcast or my LinkedIn newsletters. I'm not selling you anything during that time. But I think we felt like we had to expand upon that even more. So you have the 24-hour depressing news cycle. How do we get her mind off that and come to my Instagram lives, which had an effect of an organic surge of traffic every time I do one. And I didn't set out to do it to get that traffic, right? But that's what it created. So we kept finding that the more we communicated with her and the more we engaged her not selling her, she came. And so it was just about how do you keep expanding on that pipeline so that you are reaching her no matter what. I've been thinking about how much you must understand about personal branding, given that it has been the seed of your business from the moment that you launched, that your your consumer is buying not just a handbag, but a Rebecca Minkoff handbag, and you are Rebecca Minkoff. How do you figure out how to be the voice of Rebecca Minkoff and also just be yourself? So I feel like I don't understand this area as much as I want to. And a lot of these decisions are me just going with my gut. It's not because I read a book on branding or I went to Wharton and got schooled and how to do this. But I feel like there's a line of reality, which I'm happy to show, but you're never going to see me cross the line into reality show because these products are aspirational products for women that save their money to buy them and mean something to them. It's not just something you purchase for 20 bucks because you could. And so where do I draw the line of what's too much? How do I show you a slice of who I am as a real human without getting too dirty laundry. 
And how do I remain sort of as a leader or that best friend and mentor to my customers who come to know me as that? So it's definitely a balancing act and I've shown too little and I'm not shown enough, but I always try and be real. Like I'm messy. I'm, I'm real and I'm messy. My hair isn't dyed, you know, like all, all the things and I can never be that perfect. And so my brand can't always reflect perfection because it's not, and we're as humans, we're not. So I think leaning into that is something uh, that's important for us because people put up so many false messages of themselves and false images that just, you know, can't be true. I, of course, have the smallest following on on a lot of these social platforms, but still find it really challenging to navigate the fact that as soon as you become a public brand of any sort, people feel the need to weigh in and tell you if you're doing it right. And I'm just curious if you have that experience. So I I have a weird experience in that the things that my consumer weighs in on, and I would expect you know, I see a lot of other, uh, let's say, mommy bloggers or influencers definitely get that customer that cares and is like, why weren't you wearing that your mask when you did that post? No one's saying that stuff to me. But if I take a stand for something, there's definitely a lot of opinion shared. The other day, I said, violence is not the way to solve things, you know, and that there's no place in violence in establishing a democracy. And that's when people said, unfollow, I come here for bags, you know, all these things. I actually turned off comments because I was like, this isn't actually up for debate. Violence doesn't solve things. Let's not be violent. I didn't say who was right and who was wrong, just my stance on these things. So that's when I feel like my customer weighs in when I when I depart from what she comes to me for. Right. Uh, do you think that that has become more true over time? Do you think that it sort of matches the the broader polarization that we're we're seeing? For sure, um, it's it's become more broader when you take stands on issues that you never had to talk about before because this stuff wasn't happening. You know, obviously, there's longstanding racism issues and and biases that have been you know happening for a long time, but the events like what happened on the sixth haven't happened in our generation, so I never had to worry about it. You know, yeah. That's right. And 2020 has thrown at us so many things to take a stand on. And uh, at the same time, it's all happening in real time. And that real time is all happening in, I think your husband framed it just exactly right. Time is a circle, like all at once and on no continuum that we can understand. For the last year, every six weeks or so, something has occurred to throw us so far off course that we have personal emotional reactions to it. There's just a sense that for a few days, you need to give your colleagues a little bit more space because everybody is just really struggling. And I'm curious what it means to be a leader at an organization through those moments. I think uh, leading with empathy, you know, leading with, I'm in my living room and you're in your living room, but my circumstances might be different. And we all have these different experiences and some are chosen, some are not. And so how do you just have empathy? How do you know that if that person's stressed, it's not because of work? It's mostly probably not work at this point. It's everything else that's happening. Do you think about or talk about when and how you'll go back to an office? Yeah, we've tossed that idea around a lot. There are about seven core members of the team that have to be working together. You cannot have a design company and approve leather samples over Zoom or fit a garment over Zoom. It just doesn't work. They go into the office every day and then there's the rest that don't have to. I think we're leaning towards a two to three day a week system. But 
I have people that have so much fear and anxiety, they never want to come in. And I have ones that are like, screw it, I'm going in. So I think it's also trying to figure out at what point do you say, okay, good. If you want to work here, you got to come in because that culture and that togetherness is also important. Yeah. The navigating the the return to a new normal and what that new normal is going to be feels like it'll be a huge theme for 2021. Yeah. We'll all be pushing into that together. Yeah. Do you have any sort of time frame, even a guess at one? I think we're thinking that by June, at least we're hoping things will normalize somewhat or, or become you know more clear. But I think by the fall, we'll definitely have a rhythm and a routine that is that two, three day to, days a week in the office. And we'll try it. We like to experiment. We'll try it and see if it works. If it doesn't, we'll, we'll switch it up. Will you be a different kind of manager as a result of the last year? I think, again, deeper empathy. I also think it's been crystallized what matters and what doesn't in terms of work. And so just making sure that everyone is optimized to produce the biggest ROI. We just got to do what like brings in the business, connects with our customer, and keeps them happy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Rebecca talks about how she persisted in a project that had to change drastically during COVID. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were FinTech developers. We'd been a FinTech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a FinTech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. My guest today is designer Rebecca Minkoff. She also hosts the powerful podcast, Superwomen, and that is something that has had to change with COVID too. Yeah, so I was an adamant, I will only record with you if we're in person. I was never going to interview someone in LA because I wanted that connection. But obviously, we had to adapt and I didn't want to not record the podcast anymore. So, you know, doing it just like you and I are recording now and kept it going. The sound quality is far less, not going to lie. But I thought it was important, you know, to keep keep that dialogue going, keep talking and having these interesting conversations and where I could fit in episodes that were COVID specific, whether it's a trick or a marketing hack or a time-saving technique that would that would help people who are struggling as well. I agree with you on the in-person. It was so important to me. I didn't imagine how I could possibly have a meaningful conversation absent that. That it just yeah. wouldn't be the same. Yeah. It turned out not to be true for me. What I learned about myself is that actually I 
can strike intimacy with people across boundaries. We haven't gotten the sound quality uh, to the degree that I would have enjoyed it in the studio, but it turns out that people haven't cared as much. Yeah, It has felt to me like a community needs your voice more this year than in past years. And so your your show is more of service. And I'm curious what you have taken, what you have learned from doing it. I think the resilience of the human spirit, the ability for us to survive and adapt, that continues to be something that as I talk to all the women I interview, uh, a through line, they found a way to adapt, not just now, but through their entire career. There's hardships, there's struggles, there's moments of uncertainty or bankruptcy or whatever it is. And they've kept going. I loved an interview that you had with a a founder in which it was actually a podcast in which you were being interviewed. And the conversation turned to talking about your business, particularly when you're an early founder. And the way that early founders who are men, often when you talk about their business, you hear the same words come up. I'm crushing it. Everything is going great. And that things are just never going great when you're founding a company. Maybe they're going great for five minutes. Maybe one thing is going really great. But just the difference in how women talk about the reality of what it is to build a business. And you have been such an instrumental member of a community of women founders. You have done so many things over the course of your career to support other women, and not just in fashion, across so many different industries in building a company Coming through 2020, for young female founders in particular, what would you have to offer them? What's most important? If you think this is hard, buckle up, baby, because it doesn't get easier from here. But also, this is your moment to sort of hone what you're good at. This is your time to get perfect, because when we're not in this crisis mode, it'll be easier. But sort of like the entrepreneurs right now are sort of being forged. And then they can go out and, you know, in a different climate and a more forgiving climate, really do well. So take this time as an opportunity to explore the good, the bad, and the ugly of what you can do, what your company can do, and what can it offer. Because if you can get that really sharp, you'll see a huge growth in companies when we're out of this. But if you happen to be in the middle of a pandemic and to look up and see an opportunity that exists because circumstances have changed in the world, it's actually a great moment to rush at something new, except that perhaps we're all a little gun shy. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on confidence, the courage that it takes to just go for the thing. I think less about the courage to go for it. It's the courage to keep going. And I always am like, did we get marketed? Who told us that it should be easy? Who told us that it should be the fairy tale? Like, why did we think our journey shouldn't be flawed or hard or without struggle? So it's really the courage that you stay with it and that you're constantly looking for ways to solve it. And then if you do give up and throw in the towel, you're like, I, I literally gave it everything. Not like it was hard one day or this happened to me and woe was me, but like I threw everything at it that I could. I can tell you that as a founder and 15 years in, you have to be like those blow up dolls that get knocked over and come right back up. And, and even I woke up on January 4th and I was starting to believe all the shit on Instagram. Like it's a new year, yay. And I was like, wait a second. I don't know why I even thought that I should start believing that it's not a new year. And guess what we have to do this year? Stay in business and grow. Um, and that's a lot to stomach. You know, you just want to like pull the covers over and just be like, oh, give me a minute. But we don't get to have that right now. 
Yeah, I think if there was ever a time to reevaluate the significance of a date, then January 1st of 2021 was that moment. We were all so anxious for 2020 to be behind us. And then it was. And it turns out that everything that it shoveled up for us to deal with is still right there, right? It's not going anywhere. Nope. Sadly. So what is the most important advice that you received in your journey? I think, can I give you two pieces of advice? Please. (laughs) Okay. Persist on the given course. You know, I just talked about it, staying the course despite all invitations not to. And I'm speaking of business. We need to always be flowing communication outward more than we're trying to receive it in. So that means that it's more important that I'm talking to my customer than she's talking to me. Not because I don't want to listen, but because the more we can be there hitting different facets of her life, the more success we're going to have. And you can't always see it as an ROI. You can't look for it as that. Look for how you can keep communicating and keep being in touch, especially when others pull back. That was Rebecca Minkoff. Be sure to check out her podcast, Super Women. I'm her guest on this week's episode, actually, and we're going to share it with you on Thursday. So watch for it in the Hello Monday feed. And wow, it has been a year. A year since the pandemic really took hold in New York City and I started working from home, trying to figure out how to make this show in our basement instead of our fancy studio in the Empire State Building. I remember my son would pick at the equipment. He wasn't walking then or talking. Now he runs and he won't be quiet and he's potty trained. A lot can happen in a year. Come compare notes with us this week at Office Hours. We'll be convening Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. Remember, we've moved our meetings to the LinkedIn News page. So you can find us by following LinkedIn News or email us for a link at hellomonday at linkedin.com. We'll always send one to you. If this episode really grabbed you, please share it with a friend. And we would love it if you'd rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Thanks. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Madison Schaefer. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor help us move the needle. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Puddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. So we'll do this for 45 minutes for Hello Monday, and then we'll reverse it. And the only downside to that is um, you get to learn. uh, I get to learn a lot about you before you get to learn a lot about me. So I feel a little shy, to be really honest. (laughs) Well, if you want to reverse it, we can reverse it. I can interview you. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm totally game for this.